All right. Last week, Ahmad was up here, and he was talking about our Christmas theme, that is, Rejoice, Our God is Here With Us. It's a line from a song. It's something that, that stood out to us this year, something that we wanted to, to mine and understand just a, a little bit better. What does it mean to rejoice because our God is here with us? So last week, Ahmad emphasized our God is here with us. He talked through the idea that from uh, the garden to uh, the cloud and fire in Exodus to God's presence in the temple to Jesus being here on earth to then sending the Holy Spirit to where every single person that follows Jesus is now a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, the presence of God abides with his people right now. That's our present day. Our God is here with us. So today I wanted to focus on the rejoice side of that phrase. And that's what we're going to spend some time doing. Now it's, a, it's an interesting thing because I, I started off prepping for this message and I was thinking about how, uh, how quickly and easily in our culture uh, we move away from a new thing. You get a car, you get a phone. I was just thinking back on the first iPod I ever had. Yes, the first iPod I ever had. What was that, 2004 or something like that? How many songs you could put on that? It had the headphones. I was walking around Biola's campus just feeling like, oh, like a million bucks having an iPod and not a disc man for the first time in history. It was absolutely incredible. And you know what those things are good for now? They're really good for skipping across a lake. They, just, they would just fly forever. The reality of stuff is how quickly it, it wastes away, how quickly the sheen goes off of it. You could buy a new car, and within weeks, you could crash into a pole, you could scrape against a car, and all of what it was when you got it just sort of melts away in those moments when you realize how, how temporary some of the things are. And so I started this message just prepping for that and thinking, you know, things just kind of wane. But then, actually, I was reflecting on the idea of the Old Testament, over and over and over, God meets his people in some miraculous way. And the people respond with extreme worship, just joy and celebration, overwhelmed at what God has just done. An example of that would be in the book of Exodus when they walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. They get to the other side. They sing. They celebrate. It's incredible. They've been set free from Egypt once and for all. It's an incredible moment in Israel's history. And within weeks, they're just like, man, this wilderness is the pits. There's no water. There's no food. If only we could go back to Egypt. And all throughout the Old Testament, the book of Psalms calls us to remember. Remember what God has done. Because it is in our very nature to forget. It's in our very nature to move on to the next thing. It's part of the reason why sports is such a, a huge thing in culture is because it's fresh. Every time your team plays, there's another goal or another touchdown or another home run. There's something new to be excited about. And sure, you can remember the old things that happen and you can look back on the 10,000 documentaries that are on Amazon Prime right now. You can watch them, but then also the next Saturday or the next Sunday, there's a, a fresh dose of history that's being played out in front of you, and it's something to get excited about. And that feeds our human nature 
that has this tendency to just wander from the things that are important to us. You could think right now about your salvation and all that God has done, and it can freshly bring joy to your mind and to your heart. But tomorrow, you could wake up, and you could struggle. You could feel the aches and pains of your body. You could feel the distance in a relationship that you're longing to see fixed and reconciled. You can feel the uh, the, the disenjoyment of a career that maybe you never wanted to begin with. And all of a sudden, everything that God has done sort of just seems to drain the joy out of life. You just, it's hard to remember. It's hard to stay fresh. And so the, the, the real challenge that we face in life as followers of Jesus is how do we walk through this life And continue to be aware of not only what God has done in our history, but what he is doing today. And to live with an appropriate amount of rejoicing. I want to talk about this idea of rejoicing for just a minute. That's our theme, rejoice, our God is here with us. There's a a lot of times in the Bible that rejoicing comes as a command. Now, commands are an interesting thing for us. There's not a lot of context that we like to receive commands in our culture right now for the most part. We like to, you know, things to be insinuated that, hey, maybe you should think about the speed limit. Hey, maybe it might be a good idea for you to consider showing up at work on time, right? That's, it's kind of the world that we're in is the idea of rules and structures are, well, who are you to tell me what to do? And then somebody might say, I'm your boss. And then you could still say, well, who are you to tell me what to do? That's sort of the culture that we're in. But the Bible is frequent. Rejoice. It's a command. It's an imperative. A couple of examples of this. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's Paul to the Philippian church saying rejoice. Guys, you need to rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, if you're looking for a scripture to memorize, this is a great one. Rejoice always. Boom, nailed it, done. I memorized scripture left and right. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. 2 Corinthians 13.11, quite a bit longer. Finally, brothers, rejoice. It's oftentimes in these short contexts where the command is just there. Rejoice. So let's talk about what it means to rejoice. The idea of rejoicing is to be glad. It's actually a a command to control your emotions. That's another thing. We talked about this two weeks ago. John 14, 1, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. He's actually commanding you to have control over your emotions. Yet another thing that's countercultural right now, our emotions tend to control the rest of our decision-making spectrum. If it feels good, that's what you do. If it feels right, that's where you should go. And so we operate a lot on the feels. And we wait for how we feel to line up with what's good and true and right. And if we feel it, that's when we move forward. But the Bible has a a different perspective of the human condition. It actually says, well, your, your will should dictate your emotions especially as followers of Jesus, especially as people that know the Lord, that know the authority of God, we have this power in God to have authority over our emotions. And so the command to rejoice is one where through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're told to dictate 
to ourselves the kind of emotional response we should have to things. We should let not our hearts be troubled. We should rejoice in the Lord always. These are some significant things. Psalm 16.9 says this. It says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. And this is the other form of rejoicing that we see in the scriptures. It's not so much a command, but a reaction. When we realize the things of God, something happens in us and we rejoice. We rejoice. And this is uh, the kind of thing that I don't know if you ever get caught off guard by how grateful you are for a moment. Uh, just the, uh, actually Friday, uh, I made what might be, I'm 42 years old, and I made a, a, an 18-year-old decision. Um, so Andrew was planning on going to Mammoth uh, to go snowboarding. He's got a season pass and powder day. It was going to be a great time. And uh, I thought, yeah, I can do that. Let's wake up at 3 a.m., and let's drive to Mammoth, and we'll snowboard all day, and then we'll drive home that night. It'll be fine. I can handle it. Uh, when all said and done, I handled it. We got home. We're fine. Uh, I will be probably paying for it for the next 20 or 30 years. But there were multiple times. I'm just going to describe this. Uh, Mammoth is one of those places for me. My grandparents bought a cabin there in the 60s. It was where we went for every family vacation, summer, winter, fall for my entire life. I love going to Mammoth. There's, there's so much nostalgia to it. Driving up the 395, the, again, the desert, the wilderness. It's like my favorite place in the world. Olancha is my favorite town in California. I love it. It's beautiful. All right, so driving up to Mammoth, I just, there were, there were things that just were so overwhelmingly joyful. I'm driving there. It's, it's pitch black. It's probably 4.30 in the morning. We're getting out to the desert. And the, the moon, have you guys seen the moon the last couple of days? It's massive. Just this huge full moon. It's just sitting there lighting up the entire desert. My son's asleep in the car and my heart just swells with gratitude. So thankful that the Lord would bless us with this moment where me and my 18-year-old son get to go snowboarding together. We're driving through the most gorgeous place on planet Earth, Lancaster, and I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful. And I didn't tell him this, but he's hearing it now. There were probably four or five times throughout the day where I, I, I cried a, a little bit. Just thankful overwhelmingly grateful for what God has done. And so when I read Psalm uh, 16, 9, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices, I felt that repeatedly just getting to be with my son and enjoy the day together. So there's times where we actually see what God is doing. We read through the scriptures and something happens in us where we just swell with gratitude. So the Bible talks about rejoicing in both aspects. It's the command to rejoice, and it's the description of when we realize the power and the depth and the goodness of what God's done in us, we rejoice. So now I'm gonna, I want to take some time. I, I tend towards the uh, reaction side of it. The command doesn't really do it for me. I'll be totally honest with you. When I'm told to rejoice, I know I'm supposed to. But there's part of me that's just like, a, ah, I don't just want to rejoice because somebody told me to rejoice. I don't just want to rejoice because the Bible says I'm supposed to rejoice. 
And therefore, I don't want you to just rejoice because some guy stood up on stage and told you to rejoice. I want to vision you into rejoicing. I want to talk about the goodness of God and why every single one of us that has said yes to following Jesus by the end of the next few minutes should be swelling with absolute gratitude at the things that God has done. So I want to vision you into joy today. So you can walk through the Bible with me. Uh, We're just going to go to two places, first to Luke 2 and then to Romans 5. Those are the two places we're going to go today. And we're going to talk about why we should rejoice. So Luke 2, this is the Christmas story, and these are the angels speaking, and they declare at the birth of Jesus in verse 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's Luke 2, 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Something happens in the gospel that brings this concept of peace. And this is one of the key things that we are called to embrace as we rejoice in God, our Savior, is this idea of peace. What Jesus did when he came into humanity is to reconcile a fractured or a broken relationship. Now, I would guess that almost all of us have at least one relationship in our lives that has fractured at some point. Something that that there's a, a schism between you and another person, and it, it still to this day pains you. I have one. I, I would imagine that you guys also have that. And so you're aware of, you know what it's like to be at odds with somebody. Well, one of the core elements of the gospel is that we were at odds with God. We were enemies of God. Everything about us and God, our creator and us, our father and us had been fractured. It had been broken. There was a gap between us and him. And to be honest, if you are not a follower of Jesus, that is your current state of being. I know that might not sound very friendly. You're like, man, I showed up to church to be encouraged and this guy's telling me I'm an enemy of God. And the scriptures teach us that unless we are united with God through Jesus Christ, we are still enemies of God. We face his wrath. And the gospel does something different in us. And that's what those angels were declaring. As Jesus entered into the world, they're saying, peace has entered the world. The opportunity for mankind and their creator to be united is now available to this world. And that is why we give glory to God. Peace is available. Reconciliation with God our Savior is available for you and for me. Now I want to take you to Romans chapter 5. Paul takes this concept and he actually unpacks it for us. This idea of how peace produces joy. And my hope is that just a fresh unveiling of Romans 5, that it stirs something deep in your belly. That it stirs something at a, at a heart level. And you start to feel the power of your salvation. So if you have your Bibles, go to Romans 5. This is an important place to go. Romans chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 today. Honestly, I could teach chapter 3 through chapter 8, and it would be powerful. Chapter 5 just brings this intense focus. Paul says this, Therefore, since we have justified, been justified by faith, so he's saying, all right, we've been justified by faith. We've been declared righteous. We were wrong, 
before. We were guilty before. And we've been declared righteous. So our standing before God is holy and pure and good and right. If you're in Christ, there is no friction between you and God. You are pure standing before God because of Jesus. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good woo. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, is God mad at you right now? No. No, he's not mad at you. He's not. God is not angry with you. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. You are at peace with God. When he looks at you, he says, well done, good and faithful son, good and faithful daughter. You have been reconciled to God because of Jesus Christ. It's done. When Jesus said, it is finished, he wasn't lying. It is finished. You have salvation and you are made right with God. You are at peace with him. This is why we, we don't believe in a concept of purgatory because your sin doesn't need to get burned off any further. There's no, there's no more work that needs to be done after you die in order for you to be presented before the living God. You could die today and the second you die today to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You stand in his presence. That's why we don't fear death. It's because you just kind of walk through this body into the presence of the Lord immediately. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Through him, verse 2, that's just verse 1. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Right now, your position is standing in the grace of God. Grace is unmerited favor. You stand today in the grace of God. When you walk over here, you're still in the grace of God. When you go to work tomorrow, you're still in the grace of God. He has given us access into this grace in which we now stand. Everywhere you go is in the grace of God through Jesus Christ and his finished work. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We don't do this a lot. I'm going to have you repeat after me because this is a good phrase. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Ready? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Let's do it again. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does that even mean? It means that God's glory is so ours. This secured future is so ours that we rejoice in the hope that God's glory is ours. We rejoice. We are overwhelmed with gratitude 
in the hope of the glory of God, the fulfillment, the completion of all of God's purpose. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And it's like Paul can't even contain himself. He's writing this out. And then he gets to this point in verse 3 and he says, more than that, he just declared one of the most incredible truths of the Christian gospel. And he's like, oh wait, there's more. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's what Paul's saying. In this life, your identity has been secured. Your future has been secured. And anything you go through in this life, any resistance, any difficulty, any suffering that you face, you get to rejoice because you know that 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 suffering, it produces endurance. It actually makes you a stronger and more steadfast person. That suffering refines you. It takes you to a place where you can get to the next and the next and the next with greater resiliency. Anybody ever done a a couch to a half marathon or couch to a full marathon before? Have you seen those things online? Oh, we got a hand back there. Awesome. The whole idea is that basically you go from, from zero, like not even running. Like, all I do is sit on the couch all day. That's, that's the one downside of the couch is it's like, so we know you're on the couch. And we're going to help you get from couch to marathon. It's not an overnight experience. It's not something that happens quickly. In fact, a lot of you at Christmas time are about to get some brand new running gear, some really nice Nike shoes, some great tights, men that you get to wear out running. Some really nice winter gear, some running gloves, a nice headband, some glow-in-the-dark stuff, some new AirPods to run with. You're going to have all the gear, and you're going to start running maybe on January 1st. Maybe you'll just give it a little bit of time after Christmas. So on January 1st, you're going to start running, and you're going to get out there day one, and about 800 yards into it, you're going to be bent over at the knees, gasping for air, because there's resistance. But then the next day is 1,000 yards. And then the next day, you're at a half mile. I think I just, half mile, 900, yeah, whatever. And then the next day, a mile, and the next day, five miles. That's aggressive, but we're, we're getting, you get the idea. <laughs> the whole idea of resistance is that it's actually producing a better you. A stronger you, a more steadfast you. And so as believers, we walk into this world and whatever difficulty we're facing, and we rejoice in our sufferings because that's producing something as believers. It's doing something to better us, to make us more like Jesus. And so we rejoice because that endurance endurance produces character. 
The next time you're faced with difficulty, you know what it's like to press through. You have a reservoir of Jesus-like character to draw from, to make better decisions, to be more faithful, to speak more boldly of the gospel of Jesus. You have character through testing. And that character, when we have the character of Christ in us, produces hope. Now, hope... It's different than wishful thinking. Wishful thinking, that's something totally different. I was going to say, I hope we get a pony for Christmas, but I don't think anybody here is hoping for a pony for Christmas. It's not the thing that we wish for, but wishful thinking is, oh, I really hope I get that thing, or I really hope this works out for me, or I haven't seen the score yet, but I really hope Liverpool won today. But the idea of hope is just, it's wishful thinking. That's not the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is this posture that says, all that needed to be done for me to be reconciled with my Savior has been done, and I just get to wait for glory. I just get to enjoy today because tomorrow is secured. I'm not worried about the stock market. I'm not worried about the Omicron variant. I'm not worried about the political landscape. I'm not worried about jobs. I'm not worried about those things. They don't dictate my future. My future has already been secured. I hope in the finished work of Jesus. And hope does not put us to shame. You will not be put to shame. If you follow Jesus, you could dedicate your entire being to following Jesus and you will not be put to shame. Everything about you could be committed to worshiping him and seeking him and telling people about him and giving to make his world uh, happen, his kingdom advance, and you will not be put to shame. Not even a little bit. Because there's nothing about the story of God that will disappoint, not even a little bit. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we say rejoice, our God is here with us, Paul comes full circle. He says we rejoice Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been poured into our hearts. We have the presence of God. You have it. It's yours. Now our tendency, I'll I'll close out by saying this. Our tendency as people is that we need to be reminded. The first century church, I don't know if you have this picture of like the early church and just think, oh, they had it all together and something happened after the the 1900 years since the early church to have thrown everything into chaos. But here's the thing. Even the early church, Jesus wrote letters to the church in the book of Revelation. This is maybe 75 years, 70 years after he ascended into heaven and he's telling the Ephesian church, you lost your first love. He tells the Laodiceans, I wish that you would either be hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. There are churches that within one generation, 
of seeing Jesus ascending into heaven, the freshness started to wane. This is why we do things to remember. This is why there are seasons of even the Christian faith to help us put our eyes on something and to remember the goodness of God. Because our human nature forgets, even though we're redeemed people. We grow apathetic. We grow indifferent. We have an entire generation that's built on the three letters, M-E-H, meh. Just like, eh, whatever. It's our, it's our whole world right now is to just not really care that much about anything. And we have to fight against the flood of culture, the flood of the world that is leading us towards apathy and indifference. And we have to remember the goodness of God and rejoice in God our Savior. 